Luke 2, 8 through 20. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who he, whom he has pleased. When the angels went away from into heaven, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray, please. Father, in this hectic time of year, um, just like the shepherds, we can be full of fear. Um, just this morning, I was in fear of being late to the service, and my wife had to calm me down. But Lord, uh, you don't want us to fear. You tell us not to fear, but to have great joy. Lord, we shouldn't just have joy at this time of year. We should have joy all year long, and we pray for that. As we try and slow down and have longing for your coming, Lord, let the only thing that we do in haste as the shepherds is to make our haste toward you. Lord, fill our hearts with that joy and that glory and help us to share it with other people that we come in contact with. Lord, as Lance brings the word to us today, we ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Davies. Appreciate you guys reading and praying, setting us up wonderfully. So we are in Advent, as you guys know, if you didn't see the big sign, Advent. Um, so there we are. Um, as we, uh-oh, my computer, okay, here we go. Um, as we continue on in Advent, I want to remind all of us where we are in this story as we've worked through kind of these traditional themes throughout uh, throughout our Advent journey. First one being hope, second one being peace. Now today is joy. You're going to ask me, now why do we do pink on joy and not love? I don't know, but this is what we do. Um, and so we, 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 we follow along with the traditions uh, of, of all sorts of denominations and traditions um, throughout the world. And so uh, some things are inexplainable. Some things are yet a mystery. And I want to invite you into that mystery a little bit today. And as we do, I want you to think about and I want you to notice, if you haven't noticed already, the language that has changed since Thanksgiving. Have you noticed the language that's changed? Um, well, some of us since like before Halloween, but you know, whatever. Since, since Thanksgiving, at least officially in my book, there are some things that have changed. We sing joy to the world. Uh, we were riding around in a golf cart this last week in Pecan Grove, and of course, my son is not an introvert, and so he's dancing the whole time on the golf cart, and he's going around, and he's going, Merry Christmas, and the people outside are a little frightened by his joy. 
but they'll say Merry Christmas back. So we say joy to the world. We say Merry Christmas. We, if we're being politically correct, we might say Happy Holidays, right? If uh, we speak a different language, we may say Feliz Navidad, right? What is in the midst of all of that? What is the theme that's busting down our doors? It's merry. It's joy. It's happy. And if you're not, something's wrong. If you're not, something is wrong. Every movie, every commercial, every deal that has hit your inbox or your feed says this. There's an underlying message. You are unhappy. You are the before picture. You are in the black and white, in the, uh, in the infomercial, who can't put Tupperware together, apparently. You're all thumbs. That's who you are. And if you buy this thing, your life will come in color. And you'll be able to use your hands appropriately and stack Tupperware in this new packaged deal we have for you. Right? Everything is purposed to cause discontent, especially in this season. So how can you be happy? How can you be content? How could you even be joyful in a world that is contaminated with this sort of pollutant. See, everything, though, I would say, it's not just the world around us. It's also what's going on in our hearts. It's also how we've spent money. In 2022, you have spent money and you have bought into the lie. Whether it's a big purchase or a small purchase, it could be a pool or a piece of candy, that there's an underlying lie in there that says, if you buy this, you're going to be happier. I don't know about you. But that's, that's in your budget expenses is this underlying lie of going, if you do this, you will gain what you only hoped to achieve. But it's right here. You can get it. It's not just our budgets. It's also our calendar. Don't we prioritize the things that we want to do? Like, I love the excuse, well, I don't have time for that. That just means you don't want to, right? It means we don't make time for that. As we get into the new year, I don't know, I hope you're making time to read the scriptures as we'll go through a few different books in uh, the new year. I hope that you don't use the excuse somewhere along the way that says, man, I don't have time for that. really means I didn't really think this was going to do anything for me, so I didn't prioritize it. I didn't think that this was going to make me happy, so I chose not to do it. In a world that is pursuing happiness, we are, far as I can tell, our counselor's offices are on wait lists, and we are underneath more emotional distress, perhaps, than we've ever been in our nation's history. Of course, we can't go back. We don't know the statistics when we started, but, man, we are in an emotional despair in ways that we, we really can't quantify in a lot of ways. But it's this season that brings those sorts of things to the forefront as we start to think about, man, I am pursuing happiness. I'm, 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 I'm even giving my kids this same disease of consumerism and materialism. It's what we're discipling them into. But, man, is there something deeper that Jesus is inviting us into in this season? There's a recent study that was done uh, that says that people without kids are happier and so what you'll see is that society has turned from, from not just delaying marriage, but then delaying marriage and is saying, you know what, we're not ever going to have kids because they impede upon our happiness. 
And the person, uh, his name is Jordan Peterson, the psychologist that kind of unearths all of this, he talks about how like, man, you could, you could pursue not having kids if your life is just to be happier, but perhaps we have the wrong goal. Perhaps it's not about pursuing happiness, perhaps it's about pursuing meaning. And I would say that today on that hill outside of Bethlehem, there is meaning to be discovered. See, how is it that the Bible says that we can have joy even through trials? Not happiness. That's not what's guaranteed. Happiness is dependent upon circumstance. Joy, however, is found in the deep assurance of being convinced of the character, intention, and plans of God. Are you you getting that? It's beyond circumstance. It is the deep assurance that you trust God, basically. That's how we can ultimately have joy in trial. It comes through understanding God is for us. It's all of a sudden discovering meaning. It's really fascinating what's happening in the scriptures because I think it's rescuing us from the trap of happiness and instead inviting us into the deeper reality that joy is available. Joy is available, and it's, in, and it's in fact the very thing that is promised to these shepherds on a hill. He says, I've got good news of great joy. I have a gospel of mega joy. Not happiness. Mega joy. What a fascinating reality and invitation that we have before us today. God is revealing meaning which has been underneath every event in all of history. Wouldn't you like to just see the puzzles that, that God has been putting together, not just in our life, and that's just, that's just a micro puzzle. That's just one of those 10,000-piece those puzzles that takes you three months We have friends that do puzzles for fun. I'm like, that is not fun. That is a recipe for disaster and frustration and family strife is what that is. That's all that is. Amen. We have an amen in here. They do puzzles. Can you imagine seeing the puzzle with which God is putting together all, all of history's puzzle? He knows exactly where every piece goes. And as he puts it together, as we are starting to see it, that's what we are invited into in this story on that hill outside of Bethlehem so many years ago. All of history, small or big, wide or tall, doesn't matter. Everything has pointed to the fullness of time. All of history was now pregnant with meaning, and this underlying purpose was now bringing joy to the world. That's what we see on that hill outside of Bethlehem. So what is it that we're seeing there? How can we truly understand this good news, this gospel of mega joy, good news of great joy? Here's what I think we can discover through this passage. First, we can see that the joy comes of God trusting us. We have a joy whereby it is sourced in God trusting you. You thought about God trusting you. You want to talk about faith, trust being the foundation of a relationship. And we usually think about our faith in a good and great God. Have you thought about his faith in you? His trust in you. And you go, well, I don't know about that. You're not the first ones that go, I don't know about that. I want you to think about the, the, the most um, kind of shady profession in your mind. 
what do they do for a living? When you get around them, what kind of language do they use? When, when you, if you were to go over to their house, is their house like, t- like tidy and neat and everybody's respectful in that house with this shady person that has this shady profession? What do those people smell like? What do they sound like? You got that profession in your mind? I'm going to bet you it's not your profession. I'm going to bet you you didn't think, oh, that's what I do for a living. Some people would say slimy preachers. Some people would say your profession, guaranteed. I just heard, I just got one of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know it's true. Somebody somewhere has had a bad experience with whatever it is that you do, but I want to invite you into this story. I want, you to invite, I want to invite you to the reality that, that whatever thought you had, whatever profession you had in your mind, the first century, the one that's in their mind is the shepherd. The shepherd is the one that is separated from society. Why? Because they're out tending to the sheep. They're also despised by the religious professionals. Why? Because they don't come to temple on time to give their sacrifices because they're out in the sheep, and they're dirty, and they're unclean. Their families are a little bit of a mess. The husband is always gone. The wife is always alone. The kids are growing up without usually dad, right? And more than that, their profession kind of reeks of dishonesty. If you were a shepherd, you were not allowed to give testimony in court in the first century. The reason for that is because you would maybe find another shepherd on the road or on the hill, and let's say you're too uh, flocks commingled, shepherds were known for maybe taking one or two along with them. That's why Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Even if you try and take them, I will call out to them and they will turn around and come to me. That's what a shepherd did. They would sometimes increase their flock. You know our boy Jacob, back in Genesis, shepherd, not necessarily known for his honesty, goes way back with what these guys were capable of and what they did. I want you to think about you being that shepherd. God entrusts you with the most important message that he ever thought to bring to the world. And it's not because you earned his trust. You do believe that about yourself, don't you? (laughs) That you have not earned his trust. You didn't one day be like, okay, I've done enough good things where God finally revealed the gospel to you, that somehow you, you, you stepped up enough of the religious ladders and you got just clean just enough. So he finally was like, okay, you've come 50%, I'll come the rest of the way, not the way it was. We spiritually have all gone astray, every single one of us, the Bible says. There is no one righteous, no, not one weren't trustworthy and God entrusts you with the good news of great joy he entrusts outcasts and shady characters with a revelation of his son and that's good news for you and me let's read it again verses 8 through 10 and in the same region this is again in the city of Bethlehem outside in the darkness In the hill country, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. If you've ever been camping or away from city lights in a while, you know when it says it's by night, it's super dark. There were no city lights for them. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You think? Right now, I've got blinding lights on me. I can't see half of you. I can't even imagine what the glory of heaven would have been in the deepest night on a hillside. I also would have needed to be reminded, hey, don't be afraid. And so would you and I. We are these shepherds on this side of the the hill country. And he goes on to say this, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, if you look at this, if you just see what's happening right here, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What an amazing story that these shepherds are invited into. We too are like these shepherds. We didn't and don't deserve to be trusted with this news of mega joy, that the Savior is born in this precise location, and, and this is where he'll, where, what he'll be wearing when you get there. Can you imagine that? Been looking for God for 400 years, been waiting for God for 400 years, but today mega joy is available, and if you ever need specific instructions, God makes it available as well. And when he does, he makes himself vulnerable. Wouldn't you think that God would have entrusted this message with the religious elite, like the high priest, the Pharisees, the ones that so revere his word that they set up a fence around that word so they don't break those laws? That, my friends, is what we call church folk today. God didn't entrust church folk or the Pharisees to this. He entrusted the outcasts, those that were on the margins, to invite ultimately everyone in. And he makes himself vulnerable when he does so. If you are God and he has sent his beloved son to earth, the last thing that you want to do is take a chance on these jokers, the shepherds. Also, you. But he makes himself vulnerable because all of a sudden, all of history is coming down into heaven in Jesus, and he sends his message to these shady, smelly characters in the dark. And when he does so, can you imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking? Like, could you imagine being like a, a newborn, and your, your wife just gave birth to the Messiah, not to your child, although as valuable as your child is, and as valuable as my child, my children were, no one was invited into the labor room except a few. Like even afterwards, in the few days after that you're staying in the hospital, there's not like the general population that you're just letting into that room, right? Ooh, come on over. I don't know your name, but please come on in. Well, that's an intimate space. And God invites these outcasts into this intimate space. And you can imagine Mary and Joseph. I would imagine, I just imagine myself being Joseph, like standing at the door and being like, I'm sorry, you what? You want to do what? You want to see my kid? Who are you? And, and what do you do? Because you, you stink, bro. Like, I, I'm sorry. You're not coming and seeing the boy. And you know, oh, the Savior. Oh, you, oh, the angels. Well, by all means, come on in. And there's a vulnerability in that space that God invites you and I into. What do you mean by vulnerability? God is entrusting us with a secret that he kept hidden for ages. What do you do when you're entrusted with a secret? Is it a little bit of an adrenaline rush? Like, hey, not like gossip. Your flesh likes that. Okay, I'm talking about like a secret. Like, hey, I need to tell you something, but you can't tell anyone. And it's good news. 
Like, what do you do in that moment? There's a little bit of an adrenaline rush, right? And then when that person is telling you that story, at some point in the story, you're kind of doing this little check within yourself, like, can I be trusted with this? Like, I don't know if this person should be telling me this right now. You do this. I do this. I'm grateful that at the end of that question to myself, I usually say yes, or at the end of the story, I go, hey, I appreciate you telling me that. There's no way I can keep that to myself. I'm actually going to have to say X, Y, or Z, and depending on the secret. But if you've been entrusted with a secret, you know exactly what these shepherds are thinking, that we too have been given this unbelievable privilege into God's secret that he has kept hidden. This is what Paul says in Romans 16, 25. He calls this the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. That's the gospel of great joy. That's the good news of mega joy that God kept hidden. He hid it for this moment on this hill with these men and that young bride-to-be and that gentleman and for you. He's invited you into this mystery that was kept secret for so many years like hundreds of years did he keep it secret and then he had the audacity to entrust you with it Chad and you with it Matt and all of us who believe in the gospel he gave to you to carry just like these shepherds so I have a question as we go into point two what are we doing with that kind of that level of trust from God if we've asked ourselves like I don't know if God can trust me with this He has answered, yes, I can, because I want to, just like he did with the shepherds. Nothing special about why they earned the glory of the Lord shining on them that night, and there's nothing special about you either. And you might think, well, that's offensive. I know. (laughs) Jesus is that way. He instead just entrusts you with the secret mystery that has been hidden for ages because he wants to, because he loves us, to help us be reminded that we shall not shrink back in fear from this kind of trust from God, we can then understand that we have approval with God. That yes, it may be start off with offense, but we have a joy that is found in God approving of us. You might think, well, where is that in that scripture? Well, I am so glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That hill outside of Bethlehem got even more exciting in the dark because not only were they freaking out in the dark and the glory of the Lord was shining around them and this good news of mega joy was being given to them, the angels, all of a sudden, these shepherds look up into the the sky and what do they see? Heaven opened up and the cherubim and the seraphim and these mighty angels that they would have known about back in the Old Testament that had like all these wings and all these crazy heads, like all this crazy stuff that you read about in Revelation, they see them. It's no wonder they're terrified. It's not like, you know, precious moments, angels. (laughs) 
God of heaven revealing himself, and heaven is opened up, and all of a sudden, they see a multitude of heavenly hosts, and what are they doing? Praising. Praising God. You want to know what heaven's like? It's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about the greatest golf course, or your favorite hobby, or your greatest fishing hole. You know what you're going to be doing? Joining the choir of angels and saying, glory to God on the highest. You could have killed me, but you never did. You could have left me in the dark, but you entrusted me with the gospel. You showed me reconciliation. You gave me the peace that I have with you now. Oh, you could have left me, but you didn't. Glory, glory. That hill got exciting, and God let them see heaven. But this birth announcement wasn't constrained with what they saw. It expands into what they heard. It's what they heard that should capture our imagination, not not those crazy angels. We, we can do Revelation study all we want. But let's, let's, let's do also do Luke 2 study all we want. Glory to God in the highest. He is worthy of our highest praise. He is the highest king. He is the Lord of lords. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, he says. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What an astounding promise. That that mighty God, that that King of kings, that Lord of lords, now says, peace is available to you if you are in an acceptable relationship with him. Isn't that what it says? On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Within a relationship where there's acceptance. Not just trust, but he he looks at you like he looks at Jesus at his baptism. When he looked down on Jesus, he said, behold, this is my beloved son. He now says the same thing to you. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. And I don't know if you've ever had kids or if you've been a kid. Man, when your dad or your mom dotes on you, there's something special about that. And God brings you into an accepting relationship with him and dotes on us saying there is peace available no wonder there's mega joy because the thing that we're we're hoping to buy from amazon is actually available but it costs a lot more it's way faster than two-day shipping but it's going to cost you everything and we're going to talk about that in just a minute but he's worthy of our praise because he could have stayed on high, but he came down low. Philippians 2 says this, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be like grasped, meaning clung to. And his position with the Father wasn't something that he was clinging to. I mean, like, I'm not going to give it up. Nope. You can't tell me to go down there, Dad. He didn't see that as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of not just a human, but a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And when he came low, friends, he made peace with those who were previously aligned and loyal to Satan. How's that for a Merry Christmas? That's you. And that's me. Previously aligned and loyal to the father of all lies. The one who came to kill and steal and destroy. We liked that guy a lot. You know why? 
because he left us alone. He let us do whatever we wanted. We just go do whatever we want. Go do it on Friday, go do it on Tuesday, doesn't matter. Go do whatever it is that we want. And as a result, we were God's enemies. Look at Colossians 1, 21 through the first part of 22. It's going to come up on your screen. And you, that's us. Paul's talking to us now. Go, hey, hey, you. Oh, you mean? Yeah, you. And you, who were once alienated. Yeah, you were pushed out. You were out on the hill one night. You were alienated. You were out of my life. You were out of, 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 of a pleasing, acceptable relationship with the Father. You were hostile in mind. You were his enemies. You waged war against him with your evil deeds. He has now reconciled you. He's exchanged a hostile relationship with a friendly one. You ever had a hostile relationship turn friendly? It's quite surprising and fascinating and lovely all at the same time. A hostile relationship now being reconciled, being friendly in his body of flesh by his death. You see, we may lose sight of the content of the message of the good news of great joy. The danger is then to redefine this gospel of good and great joy into a gospel of happiness, or worse, into a gospel of consumption, of getting whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, because that's what God promised. Maybe you listen to the, I think I've said this before, but like, have you listened to the worship songs that are on, on the radio lately? I don't, I don't hear us singing a lot of, oh, thank you, Lord, for producing fruit in me over a long period of time and giving me patience. No, no, I need a miracle right now. Move the mountain. Right now. How, how, how dare we be so presumptuous on the character and the power of God. Instead, may we journey with him on this hillside into this earth that we may be reconciled, that it's not about us, but it is glory to God in the highest. We earned enemy status with him, and he could destroy us, but by his grace has made peace with his enemies. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, how else are you going to try and get peace? How have you tried to get peace? Accumulation, consumption. How else will we have joy, though we will find some relief in these things and temporary happiness to which we can praise God for his provision in these things? It is not to be our aim to consuming enough stuff to gain the peace and the joy that only God can provide. This morning I was going over my sermon and I was reminded of a song that I haven't listened to in years by Dustin Kinsrew. If you want to be awakened, go listen to a little Dustin Kinsrew this afternoon. And it's a, and matter of fact, I, I would do you one better. Go watch his video on YouTube to his song called It's Not Enough. I remember when I showed it to a friend of mine who lives in Virginia, I go, hey man, you got to listen to this song. And that, but yeah, go watch the video. And he watched the video. I go, hey man, what'd you think? He goes, haunting. Never want to see it again. But listen to the lyrics. Though all the wealth of men was mine to squander, towers of ivory rose beneath my feet. 
were palaces of pleasure mine to squander, the sum of it would leave me incomplete. Though every soul would hold my name in honor, and truest love is always by my side, my praises sung by grateful sons and daughters, my soul would never still be satisfied. It's not enough. It's not enough. I could walk the world forever till my shoes were filled with blood. It's not enough. It's not enough to make me whole. It's not enough. It never was. Awake my soul. We need an awakening, friends. May the angels in heaven and the shepherds on the hill awaken our souls to the song that we're singing. Because there is more joy available in praising our God in the highest who has reconciled his enemies and granted us peace. May we peek into heaven like these shepherds. And when we see heaven's gates opening up with the multitude of heavenly hosts, or may we just get a little sliver of the goodness therein, may we be awakened. May we be awakened to the reality that God is pleased with us. We can't earn it, and yet he pronounces peace and joy to those who would believe. Finally, what happens when joy like this is experienced? Well, there is a responsibility that comes with joy. There's a responsibility that comes with joy. And we see it in the shepherds. We see it 15 through, through 20, that when we begin to, to grasp the privilege of being entrusted with the gospel of mega joy, that God finally provides that which we've, we, we, would, we would empty our bank account to find, and that is peace everlasting with those with whom he is satisfied and, and pleased with and whom he accepts, things change. The shepherds didn't stay on that hill. The shepherds left the security of their job, of their income, of their identity, and they counted that cost, and they went, well, we've been out here all night. And I don't think there's going to be any wolves around with all that light that just shone around us. So maybe we should go see what's going on. And what is it that they see? Verse 15. This is, this is their response. When the angels went out away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Bill, did you see that? Isaiah, did you check that out? Are you, can you see it? Because I got still like the, the blue dots in my eyes. I can't see anything. Are the sheep still here? I can hear them. They said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. You knew what it says. In verse 11, it said this, the angel said, for unto you is born on this day in the city of David a Savior. It's right there, exactly where he said, who is Christ the Lord. And if you don't believe, verse 12 says, and this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, nothing abnormal about that, and lying in a manger. Oh, that's very abnormal. There's probably only going to be one of those. And so they go over to Bethlehem, it says in the, verse, the second part of 15. Let us go over to Bethlehem and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has revealed to us, this mystery. 
And what did they do? Talked about it for the night. They said, well, let's stamp out the fire first. You know, I don't know about you, but we got breakfast tacos reserved for in the morning. Maybe we just go at first light. A little dangerous to go, don't you think? You know, I don't know if we should go. No, no, no. And they went with haste. That is to say, they wasted no time leaving everything they valued to go and see what only had been revealed from heaven. They needed to confirm the joy and the message. And the only way you can do that is by coming and seeing this baby boy, this promised Messiah, this Christ the Lord who was given to all people right there in the city of David. You see, something happened on that hill. The values of those shepherds changed. No longer do they value comfort, security, the income that they could control. Now they value to worship. They value to go see this king, this Lord. So they were willing to, to, to risk all of that if just for one night to go catch a glimpse of Jesus. Matthew 13, talks about a story that Jesus told. It's a great story when we're talking about joy. It's the shortest, one of the shortest parables that Jesus ever told. It's one verse, so I won't bore you with a whole lot. Maybe just a little more. Matthew 13, says this as Jesus talking. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy... He goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. You see, the man could have taken the treasure, covers it up. Imagine being this guy, covers it up, goes, bro, I found a field. We got to get the field. It's going to cost us everything. Are you in or out? Goes to his wife, not bro. Goes to his wife. Are you in or out? She's like, well, I kind of don't feel great about it, but... You seem to be convinced. They sell everything, and then there's that process of waiting for the mortgage to close. <laughs> In his joy, he went and sold everything so that he could have the treasure. The field was ancillary. It was the treasure. You see, something happened on that hill with those shepherds. They had security, they had certainty, they had everything that they knew and they were comfortable with, but in their joy, they sacrificed it all. In their joy, they left their comfort. In their joy, they left certainty, and in their joy, they sacrificed all that they had. But friends, I know we're in the spirit of giving, but also the spirit of getting. What? Has God called you to sacrifice so that you can experience the fullness of joy in him? I'll ask it again. What has, it's not has God called you? Has he called you? Yes. What has God called you to sacrifice for him so that you can experience the fullness of his joy? Are you holding something back in your heart? that you need to put on an altar and put a dagger through? Is there something in your life that you're going, I'm going to hold this one back. It is not the way that Jesus himself explains, selling everything that you have. This is a challenging 
and yet invitation to sacrifice, to enjoy Jesus. Friends, I want to invite you in haste, do not delay to sacrifice for him. And may your coming in to worship also motivate you in going into mission because that's what we see at the end of this, verses 17 and 18. They saw the baby lying in a manger at the end of 16 and then 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You see, the shepherds heard the whole message. That this message, this good news, this gospel of great joy wasn't just for them. Christian, it's not just for you either. Follower of Jesus, it's not just for you to enjoy by the campfire. Oh, it's so warm and lovely right here with Jesus. Anybody else invited? No, 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 they're too inconvenient. It's a message, it is good news of great joy, and the whole message that the shepherds heard was for all the people. It's for everybody. It's not just for you. It's for everyone, and they heard that message, and they actually went out and shared what they saw about this Messiah. They actually lived on mission in their neighborhoods, in their networks, and to the nations. They actually, they actually heard that, and they were like, oh, that's a cute thing to say at the end of a gathering. They heard it, and they were like, oh, hold up. This is for everyone? It's not just for the Jews? It's not just for the suburban Christian that does things on Sunday mornings? It is for everybody. It's for everyone, and God is inviting us into sharing that great news. Could you imagine? What's the, what's the most marvelous sight you've ever seen? Got it in your mind? Mine is the valley in Yosemite. That tunnel view, I won't even show you the, what it looks like on my phone because I'm afraid that if you ever go, it'll ruin it for you. It's so amazing. If you've ever been to Yosemite, you drive through a tunnel, and when you get to the end of it, the light breaks through, and you see how small you are. You see how great God is and his creation. But that's the most marvelous thing. When I was thinking about this, some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Some of you have been seeing like most, whether it's nature, maybe it's something else. The most marvelous thing that you've seen. What do you do when you see it? You, you post about it. You tell other people. As, like, you, you can't even get back in the car fast enough to get it on Instagram. Like, I gotta tell people about this. It's amazing. The things that we're sharing aren't that all amazing. This is the most marvelous news that could have ever been told to the earth. And we're going, but I really just don't know if I could really say all the right words in all the right ways. I know. And we'll never learn to do it until we just do it. And we will have joy. So I end with this. There are only two reasons why we don't share the good news of great joy. Maybe more, but let's just boil it down to two. One is we have forgotten what it's like to be God's enemies. We've forgotten that we didn't always have access to this view of what God has done for his people. We've forgotten that we, we were loyal to Satan. We don't even like to talk about it. Why I'm, why I'm saying it. We, we were loyal to him. We actually liked him. 
We've forgotten what it's like to be his enemies. We've then, therefore, forgotten the grace with which God has then looked upon us and brought us into his family. We've forgotten about that. That's why we need the gospel day in and day out. We just forget. That's the first reason why we, we quit sharing the good news. So, friends, let me, let, us, let me invite you. Look into heaven like the shepherds and see on a regular basis that, that God is worthy of praise. He is the highest because he pronounces peace to those with whom he is pleased. Remember that. The second thing is maybe, just maybe, you've been coming to church your whole life. Maybe you were dragged here by a friend or a family member, and you've actually never seen that glimpse of heaven. You've never experienced the joy of being forgiven a debt you could never repay. I'm not talking about a mortgage debt. I'm talking about like, bankruptcy debt like you could never get out of that debt spiritually and Jesus paid that for you on the cross when he died and so when we journey through advent yes it's to a manger yes it's to a horse trough yes it's to a cradle but eventually it leads to a man on a cross his arms wide open dying for enemies if you've forgotten that you're his enemy, or you've never experienced the fact that somebody told you that you were once God's enemy. Welcome to the Grove. We're so happy you're here. But also, welcome to the gospel. Jesus is happy that you've heard, and that you would receive, and that you would believe, and it brings him joy as much as it may bring you joy. So if you have forgotten or if you have never experienced it, may today, and this invitation out on that hill be a reminder, let us seek Let us look into heaven and see his worth, see his beauty, see the truth that is found in Jesus. And may we sacrifice everything to follow him. What kind of a people would that be? What kind of a church would that be? What kind of a kingdom would that be like to live in where people just sacrifice I'll bet you one thing would be true about it. Joy would be present. Let's pray. Our Father, for those that have never experienced the joy of being forgiven a a debt, I pray that they would come to you in this moment. For those of us that have forgotten the privilege of being led led in on your secret of mega joy, I pray that we, you would rekindle a spark that has been lost. Lord, you are inviting us onto that hill to see what they saw and to tell what they told. I pray that we be a people, oh Lord, that we... Just like the shepherds who returned and glorified and praised you for all that you had heard and seen, I pray that we would be a people that return now to our normal lives, but let it be never be normal again. Let it be a place where we glorify and praise you for all that we have heard and seen both personally and now been reminded of through the scriptures. May we share the same gift with which was shared to us, the gospel, good news, great joy for all people. I pray that we would praise you 
both quietly and loudly in this week to come. For unto us a Savior who is Christ the Lord is coming, has come, and will come again. And you've offered us peace through a pleasing and acceptable relationship with you. Remind us of how worthy you are. In Christ's name do I pray. Amen. Let's sing together.